This is Need to Know, real talk about the reality of unidentified aerial phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coltart, and from the U.S., Bryce Zabel. Well, hello, good evening, and welcome to what I think is a very important and historic edition of Need to Know. Uh, tonight, literally just minutes ago, I finished the studio with News Nation, where we interviewed Dave Grush and then did the post-show analysis. And here to join me in the post-mortem is my colleague and good friend, Bryce Zabel from Los Angeles. Ross, it was a, it, it was an amazing night for you, for sure, because I really enjoyed you getting the chance to tell the expanded version in the hour that followed the special. Um, but also, I have to say, I enjoyed seeing you in a long, dark jacket, in a tie, <laughs> standing in cold weather. Tell me about oh my God. that. It was so cold. I mean, um, it's quite funny. In the early days of news gathering, as you know, Bryce, we all used to use big OB trucks, outside broadcast trucks with microwave relays. And um, these days, they all do it with um, a device that's um, about the size of a book, you know, really tiny little device that's got SIM cards in it. And the trouble is I live in such a remote part of the New South Wales countryside here in Australia that um, the mobile phones weren't strong enough where I live. So I had to um, uh, bolt to a town about 20 minutes away. We were on a big hill, which unfortunately is very, very cold. So uh, I was standing there in my very big, thick jacket, and it was about five degrees centigrade. Very, very cold day. And uh, what a relief to be back inside my warm home. And what a relief well, to have that under the belt, frankly. It's I think we have to point out to everyone, stressful. by the way, we are doing this literally minutes after this thing. So I've literally rather, just driven home. I've literally just popped in the door after coming home from um, from the shoot. And the main reason um, we yeah, decided I, not I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say the main reason we did we decided not to go live is that we weren't sure you would be able to get home in your car. Sure. Uh, and so at least uh, you're you're back and uh, and that's good. Tell me, sure. so, by the way, on a technical basis, when you were standing there, you have the IFB in, but there's there's multiple people talking. It's you know, there's just a lot going on in their studio and with people being pulled in. Were you able to figure out who was talking all the time? Were you were you clear? I mean, it just looks so challenging. It's um, it is a hard gig because um, you have a little bead that goes into your ear and uh, uh, it's delivered by a mobile phone signal, so it's pretty crackly. But um, look, it all seems to have worked. I mean, uh, one of the times I couldn't actually hear the question that was being asked, so I, I kind of conceived what I thought the question was probably going to be and tried to answer it as best as I could. And as well as that, we were right next to a dog park, so every now and then a big fluffy dog would run through the scene where we were. And then you do get these rubberneckers that come and sort of stand and um, sort of stand behind the camera and try and get in the way. But look, just to explain to our audience, the reason this is such an important night is because, um, as you and I discussed in our previous episode, um, I've secured an interview with a very important witness, a guy called Dave Grush, who's a former, until April, military intelligence, very senior military intelligence officer with access to literally the, the, the most important and sensitive secrets in the US government. And what he was telling us about in the story that aired tonight on News Nation was that we are not alone, that there really allegedly is a non-human intelligence that's been engaging with this planet 
and that more importantly, the United States government has been involved in both the retrieval of non-human technology, i.e. alien spacecraft, and also in the attempt to reverse engineer it. And it's one of the most sensitive secrets in the US national security structure. And um, uh, Dave Grush, uh, with ironically the permission of the Department of Defense to speak about it, uh, gave, um, gave a description, an account of what he says he learned during his investigations as the UAP task force investigator. And um, I guess the reason why he's done that and the reason why he's chosen to speak to millions of Americans is because he thinks you, the public, have the right to know. You need to know. And uh, it's very, very important, he believes, that Congress now does its job and starts asking the hard questions about the programs that he's now revealed the existence of. And it's also very important that the mainstream media lose its languor and lassitude and actually start asking questions and, and digging and probing with investigative journalism to get to the bottom of this mystery. Because as Dave Grush told me in the preliminaries before this interview, if he's lying, he goes to jail because he's given this evidence under oath to the Inspector General of the Intelligence Service. And he's also given it under oath to the Senate Intelligence Committee and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. So we are at a momentous moment in not just American history, but world history. Um, the first ever very senior intelligence official, recently retired, has gone public with the claim that we are not alone. And uh, I don't quite know what I expected to happen, Bryce, but um, I'll be honest, I'm so exhausted at the moment. I'm just ha happy to see the back of it. And um, uh, I hope that it has the effect that we all hope it does in persuading the American public, the Congress and the American media to start asking the hard questions. Yeah. Whoa. I'm knocking things over here on my desk. Uh, you know, I think uh, realistically, when you look at the whole thing and how it's all gone down, there would have been a hope that maybe what Grush said would be case closed and we'd all kind of go from that moment of, okay, now we know what's going on. Let's get to the bottom of it, et cetera. Well, that's, that's dreaming. Obviously, uh, people have not watched this in unison and said, okay, we're done. Uh, but I, it, it certainly advanced the discussion in a way. Uh, I, um, I think I should just bring people up to date. There were uh, two days where uh, Ross and uh, Dave Grush uh, uh, were, were actually did interviews. Uh, one day was kind of a pre-interview, what we call the safety interview, and then to make sure that we got it. And then uh, on that day that you saw that interview, that was News Nation. And I ended up, you know, getting to see Dave for a couple of days, having lunch with him, things like that. So I had a impression of the guy as a man, and I found him to be very credible and, and, and personable. But it was interesting to watch your interview, Ross, as a viewer. To just sit in the you know back in the in the chair and and let this uh, interview, even though I've seen it, seeing it live, man, that's something. And and of course they did the wraparounds with the News Nation uh, anchor, and and then later brought in the other anchor, and it all felt like a pretty important event to me. Uh, and and I found myself thinking, it's a little strange how. Some people say, but where's the proof? Where's the photo? Where's the this? Where's the that? And I keep thinking to myself, did anybody realistically think they would let Dave Grush out of the Pentagon with a piece of spacecraft or a photo of an alien or something like that? 
And I think it's important for us to talk about this because it come up all the time. Where's the proof is what I guess what people like back in the uh, the 80s, we had a presidential campaign and one of the candidates said to the other, where's the beef? Right. Because that was a commercial for uh, Wendy's hamburgers. Well, where's the beef? In other words, when people are saying, OK, I listen to him. He talks a good fight. Where's the proof? Let's answer that question. Where is the proof right now? OK, what we know is that Grush is constrained. He's not allowed by virtue of the fact that he's under an oath to protect the national security of the United States. He's not allowed to reveal things that are classified, top secret, compartmented intelligence. And it's clear that the paperwork, the photographs, the individuals that he interviewed as part of his investigations into the program, into the legacy crash retrieval program. It's very, very clear that those things are classified. They're protected by the Title 50 classification, security classification, which is the, the classification that protects special access programs, America's biggest secrets, and covert action. And so he may very well, I know he does, he'd love to scream out more of what he knows, but what he has done and we keep on making this point, and it's kind of lost on a lot of people. He has testified in detail to the Inspector General of the Intelligence Service about exactly what he knows, the things that are classified, because the Inspector General of the Intelligence Service, of course, enjoys that kind of compartmented, very high security clearance. And moreover, and this is a point I emphasized in the interview post-show, and it's completely lost on people like Nick West, who keeps on rabbiting on the, the press release from the lawyers for um, Mr. Grush. The press release from Mr. Grush's lawyers is utterly irrelevant because the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community did an investigation into Mr. Grush's reprisal complaint. And in the course of that investigation, we know that witnesses came forward from the legacy crash retrieval program and gave evidence under oath to the Inspector General, attesting not only to the veracity of Mr. Grush's claims about the unfair reprisals and the illegalities that had been committed against him, but also to the existence of the crash retrieval reverse engineering program. So this evidence that everybody is clamoring for is with one of the most important oversight agencies in the United States intelligence community, the Inspector General of the intelligence community. And it's also with the Senate Select Committee for Intelligence, and it's also with the House Permanent Select Committee for Intelligence, the HIPSI. So both of those key oversight committees in the House, as much as they are allowed to, because there's constraints on who in the committee can actually hear this evidence, because it's so sensitive, they've been briefed into what Mr. Grush knows. So I can appreciate everybody wants the blueprints for the TR3B as fast as possible, and they you know, they, they, I'm not only being flippant here, but if Mr. Grush's allegations are correct, there is technology in the possession of the US government that is very highly classified. And whilst he's allowed to reveal the existence of that technology, he's not allowed to detail a lot of the stuff about how he knows about it. And it's kind of odd. It's a double standard, Bryce, because if you think about the very people who are carping on now in the mainstream media, 
about how there's no evidence, there's nothing to prove this. And I'm talking here about some of the establishment newspapers in the United States. Those same establishment newspapers were quite happy to be lickspittles to the intelligence establishment mm. back in the early 2000s when there were false claims being spread by the intelligence community that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. And my country, Australia, and yours went off to war in Iraq on the false pretext that there were WMDs in the Iraqi desert somewhere. And we did that on the basis of supposedly informed anonymous intelligence sources, whom it subsequently emerged had no bloody idea what they were talking about. They were wrong. So you've got this double standard in the media where the media on one hand appears very happy all time to rabbit the assertions made by unnamed intelligence officials. But because it's this controversial subject of UAPs, they go, oh, no, no, we can't possibly investigate David Grush's allegations because, well, you know, there's no evidence. No. Well, they were quite happy to champion and be lickspittles to the march to war in 2003, um, uh, 2002. And the reality is they didn't have evidence back then either, but they were quite happy to unquestioningly run the assertions made by the intelligence establishment. And what I'm saying is people need to start bringing in their critical faculties and, and asking the question, well, of course, of course the government's going to try and keep this quiet. Of course they're going to try and sit on this information. And the only way that's going to change is with pressure. You know, I'm really glad that you got a chance to do the extended play version. That's the director's cut, folks, of the question, where's the beef, where's the proof? Um, just so people who maybe didn't see it or or saw part of it, there were really two hours we're talking about. The first hour was the special called We Are Not Alone, and that was the one that focused intensely on Ross's interview with uh, the whistleblower David Grush. Then there was an hour afterwards that was a News Nation sort of reaction, if you will, to the first hour. Um, and uh, Ross, it did make me smile to see that, they, yes, they went out and pulled in debunker Mick West and put him on TV and you had to talk about proof with him there. You know, and it was interesting to me because uh, people like Mick West and I, I, I don't he's not the only debunker out there, but he is certainly the most visible. He gets the most airtime. You know, people like Mick often uh, get to comment on video. So Jeremy Corbell will put out a video and Mick West will immediately be called to sort of debunk the video of being what it, what it is. This was a whole different thing. Here's a guy, as you just discussed, highly qualified, and as I like to say, a guy that was trusted to work on the presidential daily briefing and, and courier it to the, uh, the, the Oval Office. So here's a guy who's speaking from experience. What's Mick's take going to be? And it was interesting because not only did he try to float this uh, in the show, but he didn't get to fully get through it. But in his tweets, he's basically saying, well, you know, the guy um, heard people tell him whatever they wanted to tell him and he believed it all, but it's all lies. So he's he's had to move from people have misinterpreted um, what they're seeing with their own eyes on a screen to well, he may have said all that, but he was lying because he, w without intent, that people have lied to him and he's passing on lies. So I just was kind of curious, what was your what was your feeling, Ross, as you were on the air and, and there's Mick being trotted out with that? 
Um, I could see because you and I have had, what have we done? Like 40 hours of this kind of thing. I know when you're dying to get in a conversation, cause I do it too. You know, you're kind of, we're all, you know, we're trying to get in there and I could see, I literally could see you standing there freezing in your long coat and tie, but still wanting to leap through the screen and answer what Mick West was saying. So what was that like? Look, let me just say off the top, yeah. I actually like Mick West. I think it's important that we have skeptics. Yes. I do think, though, sometimes Mick strays more into the default debunker mode, Yes, i.e. he's less scientific and rigorous on occasion. Um, but I think he has performed a very useful service in holding um, some ufology commentators' feet to the fire on issues where they're perhaps a little wobbly. And right. myself included, I think it's important. I think there'd be skepticism. It's, it's important. But in this case, I knew that Mick was going to jump down our throats about the, the statement that was put out by Mr. Grush's attorneys right. at Compass Rose in Washington, D.C. And so I'd already spoken to David Grush to find out the real story. And I'm not allowed to reveal the whole story just yet, but I know that it's not true that Mr. McCullough, Charles McCullough, is dissociating himself from his client. Mr. McCullough is an exemplary former public servant. He's also a lawyer that takes his role as an attorney very, very seriously indeed. And let me just say the public will be seeing something on this very, very shortly. But frankly, Mick's wrong anyway in attaching significance to the fact that the lawyers said that they'd been misrepresented because no misrepresentations were made. No representations were made by me about the lawyers uh, or indeed by Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal. What we did make representations about, and this is a classic straw man argument, it's postulating something that we never even postulated. What we did talk about was what the Inspector General made a finding about. Mm -hmm. And the lawyers did not make an assertion about what it was that the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community found. And what Mick doesn't know, but I do know because I've spoken to people about it, not just Mr. Grush, is that there are multiple witnesses that gave evidence to the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community in support of Mr. Grush's claim. And some of those witnesses came from the legacy UAP mm -hmm. crash retrieval program. Direct witnesses, not hearsay, direct evidence. So it infuriates me and frustrates me when I hear misrepresentations being made by a debunker on a national TV program, and I thought it was important to pick him up on it. I do apologize, though, for rolling my eyes. I didn't realize I was on camera at the time, but apparently somebody's, somebody's told me off on my phone on my Twitter feed for rolling my eyes when Mick came in. <laughs> you know, first of all, you were on camera most, because a lot of the times it was a split screen with four people. So even when everyone else is talking, you you were there. Listen, uh, enough of uh, the debunking aspect of it, because it was a small, tiny little piece of it. I did want to clear one thing up. Um, prior to the special and prior to the, the uh, piece that came after it, um, I did a short interview in their... Uh, uh, News Nation Prime show. And the anchor woman there, actually, in the intro, I didn't catch it until I saw it later, uh, was saying, and there's even uh, the idea that there's a, a retrieved uh, crash wreckage, or, uh, no, a retrieved craft, singular. And 
I think we need to pick up on that because David not only implied in your interview that there were more, but there's also, I believe, is it Schellenberg? Um, another researcher. Michael Schellenberg, yeah. 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 Who, very, who, a very respected journalist. In right, his own right. Who was talking about a dozen of them. So it's not a secret. So I just wanted to say whether he said it on camera or not, I remember talking to Dave Grush and saying, well, how many are you talking about? And his answer, whether it was on camera or during double lunch figures. or something, he said double figures. So, yeah. I mean, folks, let's think about that. Um, yes, it's been a number of years, uh, 80 or 90 years, depending on whether you start the clock with the Italian crash or with Roswell, but that's a long time. And, uh, you know, that, that doesn't mean there's, they're crashing every five minutes. So yeah, a, a dozen of them gives us something to study. And as you pointed out in the uh, special, there's probably, uh, craft that the Russians have and that the Chinese have. So uh, it's about to get very, very interesting as we kick uh, that rock over. Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you need to know. I think the biggest thing for a lot of people is the ontological shock. Yes. The, the, the fact that Grush really did, Dave Grush has really made some quite extraordinary allegations. And the one that I was holding my breath and I was I was listening to it on the IFB audio as it was going out. I couldn't see it, but I was listening to it. It's the moment when Dave is asked, have people been killed to protect right. this secret? And people wonder why there's a resistance to revealing the existence of the program when you have a former very senior intelligence official saying that his understanding, his strong suspicion is that there have been people who have been murdered to protect this secret. Oh. We're talking here about crimes, Bryce. And then when people ask me, what am I scared of? That's what I was scared of. I'm scared of the fact that, that there are grave crimes committed allegedly by people in the executive arm of government and possibly also in a private aerospace contractor to conceal this secret. What have they done? What have they done? Is it, any, is it any surprise that they don't want to talk about it? Not to me. It, it was interesting, though, uh, when I did that uh, first interview in the uh, I, a couple hours before uh, the, the special, that's the very first question the anchorwoman asked me was about people getting killed. So, I mean, that really, you know, shot up as something that they, they're very interested in. And uh, obviously, boy, that leaves some digging to be done. I did want to talk about ontological shock, though, because the anchor uh, of the um, what are we going to call this? There's the special and then there's the follow-up. I don't know what, what the, the, the post-show the, analysis, the post-show post show rap. He yeah. said several times, first of all, I like the guy, uh, Brian, and I, I'm blanking on his last name, Enton, or uh, do you remember? Sorry, Brian. Uh, but he said three times, I think, how he – Part of the problem was he just couldn't seem to get his brain around. You know, yes, he hears people say these things, but they're so shocking. It's just you want to not believe it. And I I understand that. Uh, I've experienced that so many times in the last couple of weeks, particularly this last week as people have been talking about it, where um, I will tell people what's happening and, and so forth, and they'll listen politely, but there's no follow-up question a lot of times because 
they're just not prepared to hear about crash wreckage and intact craft and bodies and reverse engineering. It's just too much. When you're talking about, well, I saw this light in the sky and it was impossible. Somehow that's not ontological shock. People can relate to that. But the specificity of what uh, Dave Grush has said in your special tonight was, was a lot. And I think it's going to take a while for people to process this. And that may be exactly what's going on right now. Yeah, I, I found Brian Inton's um, Inton. comments quite interesting because um, I think he was speaking for a lot of people in his audience. It is. It's yes. a very, very confronting thing to hear a person making these extraordinary claims. And I think you and I have heard them so many times now. You and I must have discussed this in, in right. secret so many times in the last month or so. And the, the, the simple reality is there's an adjustment that's going to have to take place. Yes. If Grush is telling the truth, and I do, I think he is telling the truth, and I've satisfied myself with independent sources that he's telling the truth. If he is telling the truth, it means that this planet has been deceived for yeah. many, many decades. We've been lied to. There's been a, a cover-up. We've been told to ridicule something that was, in fact, very, very real. The human race has been the victim of the most extraordinary disinformation operation. And it's been an incredibly successful one. I mean, it's such a taboo subject that even now, as people are being told by a former very senior intelligence official that it's real, that there are NHI, non-human intelligence, that yes, we do have craft, that's the allegation. The very time that we're telling that, I think people are going to have trouble processing it. And I'm not surprised at all that people are still going to be skeptical. But that's the issue. The that issue is, is um, we know for a fact that he has made these allegations under oath and that they have been verified as credible by the Inspector General. And we know for a fact that he's given evidence to them under oath to the various House committees. And so on that basis alone, it's incumbent on the American people now to start rattling the cage and asking their government, what are you hiding? And you know, why on, are you hiding it? On that topic, um, obviously you did a lot more media than I did. I did a couple of things, but two stand out to me this week. I talked to Chris Cuomo, who's on News Nation, and I talked to Laura Ingram, who's on Fox News. Now, these are people that charitably are on different sides of the political spectrum. And let's not even get into that. But they both kind of said the same thing in their questions and statements surrounding this interview, that the interview I did with each of them, which was both of them mirrored what you were, were just saying, where th there's these accusations that the government hasn't been fully forthcoming. And both of them took the position, well, enough of that, you know? Let's, there's an easy answer to all of this. Let's just investigate it like we would anything else. And let's get started now. Their impatience uh, with more nonsense and dilly dallying about this thing was, was palpable. And I thought it was kind of refreshing because that's certainly not the, tra uh, the, the way all news goes. And I'll give you another example. Um, I, I can't, I can't remember, it's late at night folks, but I can't remember the name of the president's press secretary. Um, Val Jean or some, uh, something. I, I'm I'm sorry, it's late. But she was asked about this this week, and she said, Cor "Well, Corinne, I, Corinne Jean Pierre, yes. friendly rich Val Jean. I don't know what uh, I'm completely whatever. But what I thought was interesting is this woman said, "I uh, and and she sort of had a smile 
And therefore, uh, the reporter had to sort of smile back. And she said, well, you know, you'll have to ask the Department of Defense about that. And I thought, what kind of statement is that? The press secretary gets up there day after day after day and talks about all kinds of things. The press secretary talks about pardoning turkeys at Thanksgiving. For crying out loud, why is the press secretary saying that that's something that this White House is going to laugh and smirk about and refuse to answer the question? I, I just and more importantly, more importantly, Bryce, more importantly, yeah. why are the media complicit in letting her Absolutely. get away with that? Absolutely, because th this is the problem. This is where I think the media starts needing to hold the feet to the fire. I mean, quite a number of people have talked to me about the fact that. Um, that era of great American investigative journalism is very historic. It's very in the past. But, you know, there are there are some great American investigative journalists. I've, I'm friends with some of them. They're good people. Yep. But what's happening in America, I think, is there's, with the, with the UFO subject, the UAP subject, there's almost a kind of a fear, a taboo, a stigma. Right. It's still that there. makes people think, oh, my God, I can't touch that subject. Let's just laugh about it nervously. And it's really, it's quite ridiculous because... We now know beyond any shadow of a doubt that there is at least a prima facie case to suggest that the government is involved in a monstrous cover-up. And it's quite fun. I, I love it. It's hilarious to me as a journalist that people aren't following it. And, I mean, to me, that I, I just want to put another boot up the butt of the, um, the uh, was it the New York Times? It was. The New York Times, what's his name, Ross Doubtit? or right. doubt it. <laughs> he certainly <laughs> doubted it. Um, there, was a, there was an op-ed piece by a- Someone's uh, going to fact check Times. all our names uh, at, from this night. <laughs> You're exhausted and I'm exhausted, so it's okay. We get a pass tonight. But, but no, there was an op-ed piece by a, a, a guy from the New York Times, which came out in the last couple of days. And we were all holding our breath, waiting for the killer punch to try and right. attack Dave Grush's credibility. And hilariously, what they did was attempt a slur by linking the very controversial Bob Lazar with the allegations of Dave Grush. And I, I've remained very agnostic on Bob Lazar's claims in my book and in subsequent commentary because I do think Lazar has lied about his educational record and there are inconsistencies in his story that make me strongly doubt that he would ever have been given a security classification that would have given him access to Area 51 and to see alleged craft that have been retrieved by the US government. And so what the New York Times did was try and associate that quite easily discredited figure with Grush. And that wasn't journalism. That was just a smear job. That was a grubby little smear job. And um, the, the thing that really shocks me is if that's the best they can come up with, it means they're really scrambling. And we're in a really weird situation now where the mainstream papers in your country have dropped the ball. And look, the same thing happens in my country. You know, I was, I was invited on to a TV show on another TV network other than the one that I work on. And I wisely elected not to go on it because ultimately what happened was the... Um, the TV show did the usual X-Files theme and ridiculed the whole subject matter. Lots of titters off, off camera. And you just think, I don't want to be part of that anymore. We don't have right. to tolerate that kind of nonsensical journalism anymore. Belittling the subject is no longer legitimate because we are now in an era where even the US government admits that this phenomenon is real, anomalous, and unexplained. I mean, even, even the... Um, uh, the head of ARO, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, has talked about anomalous metal spheres 
moving in extraordinarily unusual maneuvers. I mean, at what point do people go, gee, there really is something to this? So I think we should probably give a shout out to the folks at News Nation, who I thought uh, rather courageously embraced telling this story, uh, devoted a lot of uh, airtime to expanding on it, uh, and made the special uh, an event by building the content before and after it. And uh, at least the contacts I had with the the folks at News Nation, I didn't see any snickering or goofing about. I, I felt that they sort of took it head on. So hats off, good good job. Yeah. Hey, you know, Ross. No, I agree. I know, uh, can I yeah. can I can I just emphasize one thing? I mean, I really liked what Brian Enton said at the end of that program, where he actually said, "Look, you know, what we've tried to do is we've tried to take this issue objectively and without ridicule. You know, we've tried to engage right. with the subject and treat people with respect." And that's what I really admire about what News Nation's done. They're a small news organization. They're not one of the big hitters, but they're hungry. And you could sense the pride and the hunger for the story that they had in their newsroom. I was really touched by the kind comments that I got coming down the earpiece during the ad breaks from people in the newsroom who were clearly excited and thrilled that their network has this story and that it's breaking news. That's, that's a fantastic thing. That's all journalists ever oh. want to do. It was inspiring to me. And, you know, I was just going to say, I, we can wrap this up pretty soon because I think everybody needs some sleep, but we can come back this week with a little more uh, uh, time to consider this and, and talk a little bit more and extend some of these things. But one of the things we did right before we went on is um, I asked the people on Twitter, if you have any questions you want us to handle, send them to us. So, you know, Ross, do you want to play speed chess here? And I just sure. hit you with some questions and we keep them fast and short and, uh, sure. and then say goodnight and get out of here. Need to know continues in a moment. Okay. So here's a couple of them uh, that I think were raised by the special that you were doing. And then the questions that were asked afterwards, the one that really struck home to me was, is Dave Grush safe? You think he's safe? I think he is now. I think he's a lot safer now that he's taken a public position. Um, there are things that have happened to Dave that aren't very nice. His home's been broken into and he's been targeted with surveillance and I think he's been harassed. And um, I've got a pretty good idea who the people are that have been doing the harassing. It's quite extraordinary. It's probably not a government agency. It's probably a private contractor. More on that later. Wow. So, all right. Well, there's, okay. I was just going to say, are you going to be looking into that? I guess the answer is yes. Here's another, are you going to be looking into it question? Uh, you raised in that special that the Vatican has known about this for a while. Uh, what should happen about that? Should uh, the Vatican, how do, you, how do you get the Vatican legitimately on the record about what they know about the UFO situation? Well, one of the things that I think is the red flag with the Vatican is that a few years ago, the Vatican astronomer made a very public statement yes. that we are all God's children, whatever we are. If we're another species, we're still God's children. And that the Christian faith, they emphasized, is not incompatible with the belief in aliens. And I think the Vatican's been aware of this issue since at least the Second World War, when the magenta craft was recovered. And I think that the Vatican apparently, my good friend Diana Walsh-Pasolka, the theologian professor, has apparently gone to the Vatican Library in the past. and She's told me that there are enormous archives in the Vatican still to be released where they've been studying the phenomena through millennia. It, it is 
<laughs> that is pretty amazing. But on the other hand, it makes good sense, particularly if that first crash was in uh, Italy, as as he said. All right. Um, uh Will there be interviews to follow with people who literally have first person knowledge, the people who say, yes, I worked on this program, I touched that craft, I saw this body, are, are, are we going to get that kind of thing coming anytime soon? Yes. Okay. Let's uh, leave it at that because and keep, well, you know, you got, it's TV, you got to tease a little bit. Okay. Um, also, is there any information that it was implied that there might have been agreements between humans and the, the NHI? Is there any specific information on any agreements that may or may not have been made? Uh, not from Dave, um, but of course, you and I can both speculate about the fact that there's long been in UFO mythology stories of a meeting at Holloman Air Force Base. Um, right. uh, depends what year, depending on what story you hear, but the best one I've heard is around about 1966. Um, this wasn't one where a president was involved, but this involved military officials allegedly meeting non-human intelligences coming off a craft. I'm not in a position to be able to assert that I have sources that say to me that this is a true incident, um, but yeah, um, I was as amazed as everybody else when I heard Dave confirm the fact that he was talking about agreements with aliens. And more importantly, it's quite something to read it in the DOPSA file to actually see that the government, the Defence Office of Pre-Publication Security Review, actually authorised Mr. Grush to talk about that. Mm. And, and just to make this point again, Bryce, I really want to drive this home. There are people in the defence and intelligence community who are good people. You know, not Absolutely. everybody in the defence and intelligence community are villains in this matter. There are really good people who've taken the position that there really is no good reason to keep this secret for another 80 years. And so that's why I think, in part, the DOPSA review happened. But they're not making it easy for us. They've obviously known that Dave was going to go public. I don't think they knew about my TV interview, but they certainly knew that Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal were working on a story. And I guess... I was expecting more of a blowback. I was expecting a more definitive attack on Mr. Grush, but there isn't one. Well, and um, I'm I'm quite amazed actually that that in the weeks since this story has been out, um, nobody has really laid a glove on his credibility. And in fact, there's been a, a conga line of friends of his who've come out in support of him on social media and in the Leslie Kane Ralph Blumenthal article, testifying as to not only his credibility, but as to the truth of what he says. As Carl Nell, former Colonel Carl Nell, has testified, we are indeed not alone. It's quite extraordinary. And people keep on missing that. When Mick West talks about how oh, there's no evidence, the simple fact is there is evidence. There, is there are people on the record. We send people to jail on the basis of witness evidence. You know, um, hearsay evidence on occasion is admissible in a court of law. So so the notion, oh, there's no evidence, bullshit. I'm calling it bullshit. And, and more importantly, the evidence is there before the various Senate and um, House committees and before the Inspector General. And if the Congress wants to do its job properly, it can start extracting that evidence in open public hearings and the public can hear about it for the first time. I know a lot of what it is, not from Dave Grush, but from other people. And boy, I really want the public to know because there is no good reason 
the public needs to know. They do need to know. You know, Ross, I look forward to um, turning you doing an impression of Mick West saying there's no evidence <laughs> into a gif. That would be... <laughs> That would be insane. I hope somebody. Oh, please don't encourage people. Let's my, do my that. My wife right is now. already annoyed. My wife is already annoyed that I apparently I swear occasionally, and apparently on one okay, or two well, occasions. All right, I've don't make that gift anybody. Okay, here's a serious <laughs> one though. Uh, as as you and I have uh, stated, and uh, people are interested in the process too, the the sort of the journalistic process, and as we've said, you actually got a chance to talk to Dave on camera twice on May 8th here in Los Angeles is kind of that safety backup interview. And then the News Nation interview on May 9th. So the, so that means you had the guy on tape fully on May 9th. Why didn't uh, News Nation and you go forward faster? Why allow um, the debrief to sort of go first? Why did that happen? Look, part of it is I've got huge respect for Leslie and Ralph uh, Blumenthal. Um, I, I think it was important to have their written story ready first. Um, I think we were all hoping, to be perfectly honest, that they would have been able to place it in the Washington Post, which is a well-known, highly reputable mm -hmm. newspaper of record. Um, we did think at one stage about scooping Leslie and Ralph, but I'm a nice bloke. You know, the bottom line is we were talking to Dave all at the same time. I guess we could have done if we'd wanted to, but... Um, I'm not really interested in playing silly games by trying to scoop colleagues. I'm, I'm more interested in responsibly getting the information out there. And, and I thought that the best way to do it was to contemporaneously broadcast at the same time as Leslie and Rolf's debrief article came I, out. Listen, it was I, a... I was go ahead. I'm, please finish. Yeah. No, I was, I was disappointed that it went in the debrief, even though I've got huge respect for my colleagues at the debrief. But to me, it's a failure of mainstream media that the Washington Post dragged the chain. They didn't knock it back completely, but they dragged the chain and delayed their decision on whether or not to publish. And um, the New York Times did knock it back, which is a decision I'm sure that future history will show they will have cause to regret. Um, and uh, I guess maybe the lesson of this whole experience this evening is that they'll re now realise that there are nimbler social media mm -hmm. platforms like like ours. Um, there are online platforms now that are in danger of making the mainstream media irrelevant if it doesn't start engaging and, with this issue. And it isn't, I mean, it depends on how you define mainstream, but just for the record, uh, the Kane and uh, Blumenthal piece uh, was, was I, you know, I don't know whether you want to use the word past, but uh, the New York Times had first look, then uh, the Washington Post had a look, uh, then The Hill had a look, and then Politico had a look. And uh, for various reasons, it didn't go to any of those, ended up on the debrief, which is you know, kind of a strange commentary on exactly what you've been talking about, Ross, how hard it is to get, you know, whether, I mean, New York Times, Washington Post, that's sort of way up there, and they, they wouldn't touch it. Then you have The Hill and Politico, and they wouldn't, or either they wouldn't touch it or they didn't feel they had the time to do the work properly to get into it. Um, listen, um, just about to get out of here, but the, I think there's a piece of housekeeping that people are interested in. A lot of people have said they had a hard time watching it. And that part of that is because News Nation um, is, is new. 
And I've had to explain many times to people, if you want to see anything on News Nation, you have to go to their website, joinnn.com and all that. And you put your web, your zip code in, it tells you where you might be able to watch it. But that doesn't apply to Australia, for example, and, and other places around the world. It's been hard to watch. So people um, are slowly getting to take a look. First, they saw the clips, then they've seen this special. And there seems to be a lot of people that feel like they are being, I, I don't know, not quite ripped off, but they, they, they feel like they have a right to watch the whole unedited thing. Now, is that okay, that'll, that'll be, that apparently will be happening? Um, we're in negotiations at the moment to find a platform for right. um, an edited. It won't be the full, I think, three and a half hour News Nation interview because there's lots of stops and starts. Absolutely, and bits that frankly we don't need in the edit. But no, I think we could make a good ninety to one hundred and twenty minute um, episode that could go out internationally and domestically, and that's underway at the moment. It just takes time to put that kind of thing. Of together. course, it does. And as you see, we recorded a month ago in Los Angeles, and it's now finally gone to air. And there's been an enormous amount of work in the interim, verifying, checking, and um, these things take time. You've just yeah, got to be absolutely. careful as you do it. I, I think that's what I would say to the people. Who, there were a lot of people that said, just put the whole thing out there right now. Well, that's kind of not how it works because then it doesn't get seen quite. There's a rollout because you're looking for people who have, as you said, a platform. News Nation, while they're new, certainly use their platform to full effect. And, uh, and, and the debrief use their platform. And if it rolls out, it may roll out to somebody else. And that's good. Let let people hear from Dave, see Dave, and uh, make up their own mind, which I think a lot of people are doing. Listen, um, I would just love to give you the opportunity, since you have been, uh, well, first of all, it's a story that I have watched you break, and it's been inspirational just to see you do that kind of journalism and uh, the commitment you brought to it and the follow-through and all that. Tell me, as you want... From the moment the debrief article broke, what's your life been like this week? What was that experience like for you? Uh, it's been nonstop. Uh, I mean, I literally flew back from Europe. Uh, I think last time you and I spoke, I was in Paris, and I flew right. back from Europe on Wednesday. And I've been falling face first into my meal every night for the last few nights because I'm so jet lagged. And um, uh, yeah, it's been hard. But you know what I'm going to do now, Bryce? I'm going to grab my wife, who I've neglected a bit in the last few weeks, and we're going to go down to the local pub. I'm going to get myself a beer, and I'm going to raise a glass to Dave Grush. I will. I will join you in that, even though for me, I'll be going to sleep. It looks like it's daylight where you are. It's nighttime where sure. I am. And, you know, we're going to celebrate Dave by also doing something we haven't done in maybe the last 30 episodes, which is we're going to get out on time. <laughs> um, so, listen, okay. uh, again, Ross, it was it was uh, thrilling to be uh, working with you when this great event happened, and I know it's going to lead to many more open doors. So, congratulations to you, but congratulations to the world. We've kicked it open a little bit. Now we're moving forward, and for right now, I just say good night, my friend, and thank you, and thank you to all whistleblowers because we really do need to know. Need to Know with Coltart and Zabel is a joint production of Stellar Productions and Powerful Owl Productions. The show is produced by Rich Johnson. You can learn more about the show at needtoknow.today.